On today's episode, I interviewed Simon Thomas, who is the head of performance for AG Rugby in the MLR in the U.S. Our main topic today was contact, how Simon conditions for contact, how he tracks it, how they try and um, top it up, uh, and ways they looked at trying quantifying contact loads through games as well as in training. Uh, We talked about strength programming for contact. We talked about how he incorporates wrestle, grappling, and other coaches and other professionals into his program. Um, and then we talked about how he tries to match the game demands for contact, as well as a lot of, a lot of other um, minor uh, intricacies within this topic. So it was it was a really good episode, um, kind of uh, a different one, and, and not one that's always based exactly on, I guess, it's hard to, hard to do to quantify. So it was, a, it was a good way to see how Simon thinks about this stuff and how, how he incorporates it into his program. So great episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please have a listen and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Noic Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Simon Thomas, who's the head of performance for AG Rugby in Austin, Texas, in the MLR. So thank you, thank you very much for taking the time to be on today. Um, we'll dive into a little bit more about contact, collision, all this stuff um, in aspects of strength and conditioning. Uh, but first, if you just want to give us a little brief overview of your background, where you came from, um, how you got to where you are now, and what you're currently doing. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, thanks for having me on as well. Um, just to, to chat through, I guess I've kind of worked backwards. Obviously, based in Austin, Texas at the moment. Uh, just really looking to grow and expand the game of rugby over here in the in the states through through the MLR and then um, sort of an exciting time really where it's just on a launch pad and ready to take off. So enjoying that, really enjoying that challenge. I'm just entering my my second season up here. So I had the first season. Uh, in 2021 and just entering 2022 um, prior to that uh, my roles uh, were mostly with Crusaders back in Christchurch in, in New Zealand and a couple of our national teams Māori All Blacks in New Zealand under 20s back there so led the the Crusader program for, for four years before coming over here and then assisted within that program while I was leading the, the Canterbury program for four years before that uh, and then the four years before that Tasman um, program, so all all rugby and all within the same sort of franchise catchment uh, kind of area, and and then say study study and, and a whole lot of free work experience before that. So um, after after playing the game growing up, but sort of realising pretty quickly in my um, in my early twenties that I was probably going to go further in this than I was as a player. So made that transition pretty quickly and pretty happy about it because it's been a great journey so far. Yeah, good. And then um, just maybe like one or two minutes max, if you wanted. Just how's how's MLR and how's the differences between that and where you were previously? Um, very well, in some ways, very different. I said Super Rugby is pretty established, and and um, everybody knows that Crusaders' reputation as a club, sort of within rugby and within the game, and that's a very established organisation as well. And uh, you know, MLR is only going into its its fifth season. Um, it's just starting to expand. It's probably come through its unstable phase, and it's now into a sort of a stable phase here, where 
um, teams aren't dropping left, right and centre and you know, teams are actually entering the competition rather than dropping out of it and, and others are becoming more established. Um, it's definitely a new sport and a fresh sport. So up here there's there's not uh, as many kind of uh, fans aware of rugby yet as what there might be in, in the years to come, but they're starting to, to come around and see the game because it's starting to get a bit more broadcast and, and gather a bit more of a fan base. But most of the teams are still, um, they're either just now moving into their own facilities or they're operating out of shared facilities. Um, only one team has their own stadium. Everybody else is, is borrowing a, a soccer turf or something from somewhere. So there aren't very many um, sort of world-class rugby fields over here yet, but uh, it feels like it's not too far away, especially as the US starts to pitch for um, you know, hosting a Rugby World Cup in 2031 or whatever it might be. So they've kind of got a decade up their sleeve to really grow the game and, and make it able to hold an established tournament like a Rugby World Cup. Um, so it's, it's definitely been um, like the, the challenge. The challenge is what I came for, the challenge of growing something new and, and really wanting to feel like you're having a, you know, a daily impact on growing something from the ground up and setting it up for the future, which I really enjoyed in my time sort of back with Tasman. Um, and then it was a, it was a different challenge the last eight years with Crusaders being sort of historically successful and then and then sort of reaching a level of success again and you're trying to polish something that's that's already pretty good um, and make it shine brighter every year and you know, it's a, it's a team stacked with All Blacks with great coaches and a lot of really good rugby players and so you you know you you contribute to to the way that the team rolls but you always got a question in the back of your mind whether it makes a difference or not because the team's so good that potentially win anyway so uh, it's been a nice a nice change to get up somewhere where um you know the there aren't there aren't really any big names because the players don't get paid enough to to bring the superstars into the US yet so it's a lot of really um just people who love love the game and, and there's a few journeymen that have played in different competitions around the world and coaches that have coached in different competitions and so everybody's come here to just try and make the game make the game grow and make the game better over here in the US and, and grow something kind of something new out of a foundation that's largely amateur over here it's very much an, like it's a, got a large amateur following it's a club game but um, hasn't been a professional sport so um, definitely different. So every time you run into a little bit of frustration, that's the challenges that that we chose to come here for. So um, rather than just trying to do it easy and say polish polish the diamond that's already bright. So that's been um, it's been good. It's really rewarding. Really really enjoying it. It's been um, it's been a refreshing change, and I sort of took the adventure on to grow myself. And I'm pretty thankful to be living in Austin, Texas, where I can go and do a whole lot of things that I wouldn't be able to do if I was um, caged up in New Zealand, not able to travel or have sporting events. So uh, it's, been, it's been pretty cool to have that, have that freedom. Yeah, nice. I think yeah, this does look um, pretty promising in the stuff I've been following in the growth, and it looks, you know, like you said, promising in the next upcoming years. <clears throat> so I guess our main topic, like I said, for today is, you know, contact or however you want to classify that training wise um i think maybe it'd be good to start on quantifying in and how we and how you have best tried to quantify how much to do in games quantify what they need to be able to do to go in games and all that so whether that's gps whether that's watching film whether that's you know how how have you how have you guys done that in the past to determine okay this is where we need to be at game wise or this is what the intensity of a game is and then bringing that back into 
we'll we'll go further in, in that in a bit on how to condition for that and how to train strength wise or etc for that yeah no worries it's it's a good question it's something we were in the middle of searching sort of while i was transitioning out of my time at crusaders and don't have the same level of tech um, and staff available here yet um, to do it but we're growing in in that space which is great uh, but i know started a little bit of research back there just into comparing all the different ways we can try to measure and quantify contact load obviously off um, if you've got good accurate video stats you can get a pretty good count but not necessarily magnitude um, gps you can get a bit of a blend of the two out of the accelerometers but you know the the accuracy is is always under question anyway there's always a few outliers and there's contacts that register that aren't actually contacts and there's ones that get missed and so you've always got a, a margin of error there um, with with using GPS but there's been some really good research I think done by both sort of or two or three major companies in that space just to try and get that as usable as possible um, and as accurate as possible and and then um, the other piece that's sort of starting to emerge in other wearables is sort of coming out of concussion-based research and, and mouth guards and trying to get um, use accelerometers within a mouth guard um, from that perspective to get another look at contact. It's probably collecting more around head movement and head acceleration and deceleration from more of an internal focus in and around the jaw, but, um, but it gives another perspective of when you're involved in a contact and what the magnitude of that contact might be and its effect on you know other things further up the chain. So... Is a, I know there's a bit of work and research in the background kind of now looking at um, GPS versus video versus mouth guards versus what else and how do we sort of find it? Is it a combination of all four or do you look at all four and look for trends and sort of find that one is one is probably the most accurate out of, out of all of them? Um, they say they all, all have strengths and weaknesses just depending on how they're, how they're recording. Like if your video is getting done by... Um, one analyst who's coding every single contact of the whole game for a club team versus it's being done by an external company that's doing a professional competition's stats and sending them out but they're doing so many games that sometimes they get you know there's a few errors creeping in there so there's always a margin of error with the collection but there is with everything that we measure anyway so you kind of know that we can we can look at general trends and understand the the importance of the collision part of the game um we know that we have to quantify it to some degree and because we know that we have to prepare for it to a certain degree and we have to be ready for it to a certain degree to be effective and get through without causing injury and also improving performance. So it's a real critical piece because they're not just running, they're hitting each other too. So you need to figure out how often and how hard and, and, and what that really looks like and, and then how do we best prepare the athletes for it because that's our job. Yeah, and in, in your past positions, I guess, have... And, and currently, uh, do you have one that you prefer to use or ways that you, you guys have preferred to to quantify or determine what standards we need to be at? Yeah, with, with Crusaders, um, for the bulk of the time was was through sort of from video and lining up our, um, like our match stats, match stats coming from video alongside running. And, and we would look at the balance coming out of the games from contact and running and which type of running and which type of contact and try to build a bit of a grid and a matrix around you know what does a game look like we always want to look at what worst case scenarios might look like in terms of running and high speed and contact and and those sort of metrics so uh, and then turn those into best case scenarios by being ready for them so if we're ready and others aren't then it's it's best case for us and worst case for them so 
um, and, and the athletes are prepared for what they're potentially going to go through. So used more heavily, um, you say, a combination of GPS for running and, and video for video for contact counts um, in a way and, and tr- then tried to dig a little bit deeper into what the, the GPS was giving us in terms of contact count and contact magnitude and, and things like time on the ground and time off the ground and all the things that it's trying to measure for us with different algorithms. Um, so we started to dip into a little bit of that, but not quite to the level that we really f- sort of fully trusted it to, um, to not have it alongside video as well. Um, and then so I'll be interested to see what comes out of the research comparing video, mouthguard and GPS and, and seeing how it all lines up. And if there's a, a band in the middle of about 70% of things that line up, at least you know you're getting most of it. Um, and you're just maybe missing some outliers, but you can sort of see them visually. So, uh, and, and over here, over here is similar. It's probably been more of a we stripped sort of right back and went back to basics and looked more around excels, decels, and, and the high speed and getting max velocity and and running, and then just going by um, the eyeometer with contact really, because the the stats can be quite variable up here up here too. So <laughs> around the collisions, but we can build a, a, a similar sort of matrix and at least know that. Um, that one of our philosophies is coming out of a, a Saturday game, sort of knowing at least positionally normalised out to 80 minutes um, what each individual or each position should go through in terms of running in contact and then looking at what percentage of that that they did get to and then using Monday to bridge the gap towards what they didn't get at the weekend, whether they played low minutes or the game didn't give us um, didn't give us a whole lot or if they didn't play at all. So... Um, aiming to get everybody towards sort of a hundred percent match load by the end of Monday, spread across Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, based on whether they played or not and where they sit, uh, and then on Tuesday trying to have a have a match based target around that session too, so we we can get two match loads in by Wednesday and then just focus on more about our, our preparation at the back end of the week for the weekend. So. The front half of the week's kind of we spend preparing for the season and the back half of the week we spend preparing for the game. Yeah, okay. And so with the, obviously, video analysis, that's number of tackles, et cetera. And then once you get into more your mouth guards or your GPS, that's looking at the forces of them hitting each other. It's a, um, and that's more how hard and, and all that. So do you have... First off, I guess, is that what you'd say is correct? And second off, is there some, which is going to definitely change based on level of athlete, positional group, et cetera, but are there any rough numbers that you like to try to get for some general numbers? Uh, probably more looking at each game in context to itself, really. So the game the game would give us like what um, what looked like it was averaged through that game and then trying to bridge, bridge that gap. So um, to be fair, I think... I'd have to I'd have to go back and look through the old, the old spreadsheets and to come up with the exact numbers and go through what what our matrix kind of looked like because I'm um, I'm very visual and I think I had a I had a sports scientist back home that could turn numbers into pictures for me and so um, he could he could work with all the numbers and I could look at dots on a graph and they were plotted either high contact or low contact and running and what the ratio was was with the two and and then within those quadrants of you know high run and high contact you've got everything you need just focus on recovery versus low and low get a bit of both across Sunday Monday high run but low contact get some contacts in on Monday but will reduce your running or the opposite so just trying to bridge bridge those gaps really and I'd look at that on a it was just a really simple quadrant of those four corners and the players 
numbers of running and contact were plotted on that graph and then there was a prescription in each corner for what they needed to achieve through that and they just knew which box they were in and that's what their Monday looked like. So um, that was sort of the way that we liked to, to approach it there and it's it's where we're, we're heading um, over here. we just got a few more kind of foundational things to put into place so we've kept the contact side of things really simple and um, quite a blanket sort of approach with it and then uh, next season we'll get a little bit more individual. Um, but the... So the the scores or the counts were kind of given by if it was at a ruck or at a breakdown order of arrival first arrival we assumed would have a higher level of impact than the, the third arrival at a ruck who's probably just parking at it unless there's a counter ruck going on so you kind of know whether they're getting the first second or third collision around the breakdown it, it's got a sort of an arbitrary score um, allocated to it whether it was a higher or lower intensity impact at a guess yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've called that like the quadrant thing, thing um, that makes sense of then quantifying it with the new for next weekend, weekend the fact that we're looking at more matching game mans in the first bit to, and then looking, looking for more um, specifically for that next weekend, weekend later on the weekend yeah. there. the back end of the week um, is just about trying to be as as well prepared as possible but as fresh as possible and trying to walk that tightrope and get that balance right whereas at least the front of the week you don't have to worry too much about freshness for the bulk of the the bulk of the year. Um, you know, you're still gonna you're gonna wave your loads as you need to through the season and through travel and turnarounds. But you can focus more on preparation versus preservation in the front half of the week. And then, depending on how banged up they are on a Monday, they've achieved their load already, and you're just getting the rest of the guys up to that same level so they they don't miss out uh, at least on the physical components and some of the skill components as well. So. That was probably the other benefit of making sure that we got some contact work top-ups, not just the, the the physical loading perspective of keeping contact in their week if they didn't play much, but they got to work technically with the coaches on contact skills on a Monday too because they weren't banged up because they didn't get involved in a lot of contact at the weekend. So sort of not only did they, they get knocked around a little bit, which they needed, they also had an opportunity to get better. So um, it was sort of a, a double win around the way that we... Uh, managed to work that in and the quadrant visuals just that was a great way to display it and pass it over to the players so that they then owned it and they were they were topping up themselves based on what they missed out on through no fault of their own um, just by what the game gave, gave them or didn't give them and so it means we didn't we didn't necessarily have to constantly tell everybody what their prescription was because it was there and they could take hold of it and then we could just coach it yeah, so, yeah, and that, was, that was the next question. It was going to be, obviously, so some players wouldn't play, some players would play less, so the whole goal of it is to get everyone roughly with the same amount of load of contact and running by the end of Monday so that they've all essentially played a similar amount of the game. Yeah, so we try to... Individuals that play 80 minutes every week end up trending on a slightly different sort of load paradigm that the you've got a, you've got a group plan and then individuals sort of sit either side of that plan if they play a lot or don't play at all. Um, you know the, the group's planned for a down week but someone hasn't played much so you're loading them up or the group's planned for a high week but someone's played full matches eight weeks in a row you're probably going to be unloading them a little bit so um, you sort of you're plotting them either side of your group plan but trying to get everybody as close as you can to to the trends that you're trying to follow with the group with the the end of the season in mind um, and it's uh, it's something we like to visually kind of present to the group 
uh, at, at the start of each year and, and really sort of deliver the why and the understanding around you know why we want to do that and why it's important and it's that handover process of you know they're, they're utilising us as a tool to make sure that they get what they need on a weekly basis rather than they're just doing what they're told and we're sort of calling off a calling off a spreadsheet so just the way that we sort of like to, to operate it and coach it and make it really transparent really visual and, and hand it over and um, and get a lot better buy-in that way yeah and then with even so like a let's say a player's coming off of injury um but in rehab and in return to performance group whatever you want to call that um is that a similar thing you're trying to make sure they hit that top like would you put them in obviously it's going to be very dependent on the season etc but is your goal to try and make sure they hit the top aspect of similar demands of what everyone else should be by the end of the week before they're playing or yeah definitely helps to set the criteria in terms of of a return um so we would sort of as a as a a a standard return aim for sort of two weeks sort of full full team training no handbrakes before they play um there's obviously sometimes there's an outlier there's an experienced player that just knows how to get ready um, and you would, they might do a little bit less through those weeks but be available or you might only have one week and it's a final and so you, you don't have the time to, to go through that whole process yeah. but they've got an off-season coming up. So not that that exists in rugby but um, <laughs> there's, there's a, it definitely helps set the criteria for at least per position. If they're, if they're a new player in the group, we kind of know the, the targets and the metrics that we need them to be hitting as a part of their return so firstly we know they're ready for team training and then team training will get them ready for games um, and it might be from you know achieve the lower end of the spectrum to the average to the high load or we might not have time for that full process but as long as they've achieved the the lower end of the spectrum then we're happy that they can safely get through a game and then if they happen to have a high a high load game in terms of running or contact and they go way up and over then we can recalibrate the week afterwards to sort of right the ship a little bit and look after mm-hmm. them so but it definitely helps us put some numbers to that and then the longer they've been in the group and the more info we have on them the more specific we can make it because we know what a, a normal game looks like for that individual rather than just that position because say uh, there's players that play in the same position that play very differently um, for some of the positions on the field so different athletes sort of have different ways of contributing to the game and so we um, you kind of have a different picture of where you're trying to get them to if you're trying to return them to a better version of themselves yeah so definitely it's as always, it depends, and then trying to individualise as much as possible. Yes. Yeah, the more information you have, the easier it is to, to individualise it. And say, so if, if they're new, um, then a broad brush approach usually is relatively effective anyway. And so the, old, the older they are or the more experienced they are, the more individual it needs to be. Uh, and then, But the more information you have to be able to do that. So, that, so that's really helpful um, because they're you figured out what makes them tick and what they, they can and can't do and what they normally do so we can aim to return to that. Yep. And so I think next question here going to, I guess, what metrics we're looking at. And I guess um, a technical coach or wrestling coach, you know, versus a strength and conditioning coach, you know, where, unless some people might, you know, have both of those or have the ability to do both which would be great but obviously if you're not super into your wrestling or, or etc you know what from a more of a gym conditioning strength standpoint are you looking to improve for that contact or more of that type of training versus obviously they're going to be more of the technical side of how to wrestle how to do contact and all that so i guess what are your metrics you're looking at from 
your strength and conditioning standpoint that you're trying to improve upon or monitor um, to then transfer over as, as best as you can? Yeah, probably, for me, probably less, there might be less measurables in there, but I'm big on, I'm big on uh, cross-training and, and being able to get transfer from other things and not, especially at a professional level where a rugby player is locked into a rugby system for 11 months of the year, if we only do rugby stuff in a rugby context, it's monotonous and boring and they just get sick of it and, and, and you hit a bit of a, a plateau anyway. So we always want to make sure we're not just doing random stuff for the sake of it, but you want to have some transfer and some thought processing behind what we're doing. So um, like gymnastics has been really, really good in the past with some groups that have worked with just around proprioception and body control and how to fall and how to land and just being aware of body and space. Um, and being able to have another voice and a, and a gymnastic coach leader is always great because the players get a break from your voice or, or, or my voice or whoever's leading it and they get somebody different and they trust an expert um, to, to deliver something different rather than me trying to dress up in a leotard and coach gymnastics. So it's... um. And, and like I said, a wrestling coach or jiu-jitsu coaches. And I think the, the key thing there is just the ability to find the right, sort of the right people that um, they don't want to turn your, your rugby athlete into a wrestler or a, an MMA fighter, but you can sit down and actually kind of talk about some understanding of which parts of what they do are really relevant. Like, you don't want the players to go in and learn to choke someone out because you can't do it in a game. But... To be able to get off the ground efficiently or have a, have a feel for how to manipulate space and, and work against another body and and use somebody else's momentum or energy against them and, and be really efficient and win the energy battle um, by making them work harder than you to get out of a situation or off the ground. Um, and just, again, the awareness and proprioception of, you know, when you get caught in a bad position, how to fall properly or how to, how to slip out and save yourself from from getting twisted weird the way that you don't want to and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then just, just the, you know, you get a sore body when you first come back to contact after a, a bit of time off. So when we've done we've done boxing and moved from technical to, technical to kind of light body shots to full-on sparring with no headshots or jaw shots apart from the occasional slip off the sweaty shoulder, but um, just to get the body used to taking contact again with gloves and getting in and doing res- wrestling and jiu-jitsu and combining some of those drills taking them from the from the mat out to the field and combining them with running and conditioning games and getting the guys wrestling in pairs and blow a whistle and get up and get into a game and get into shape and under that kind of match fatigue that um that you get out of the wrestle at a breakdown or a mall or scrum and some of the set piece and tackle and contact area so really trying to just keep um bridging that gap with some of the variation but as i, as I say a really um, a strategic approach of working with the the exterior providers if there is one or if you're just pulling from videos on, on YouTube, kind of adapting some of the drills and, and delivering them with an understanding of where its context might fit in the game. Um, which is, you say, it's interesting because sometimes you, some of the... the um, the way that you would coach from a jiu-jitsu perspective for example we can come from all different angles and coming into the breakdown you just got to be north south and straight straight through the gate so you can't do you can't move the way that you would on the mat out on the field but it's just having a an understanding that each thing sort of has a purpose and you're obviously not going to transfer um, every single part of what you're doing on the mat out onto the field and get penalized every time but the the learning process and the and the physical stimulus out of it um 
can be gold, especially in a progression back to contact uh, through a, through a preseason, for example, where you can be on a soft mat and in a bit more controlled environment and and kind of be coached and break things down into little micro drills and things like that. So, um, as I said, probably not not as um, as measurable in terms of, of metrics and, and anything like that. But I, I definitely like to make sure. Uh, that we always have some of that within our program, even in season. Even in season now, the, we found some really good jiu-jitsu coaches here through the preseason, and we've got a really nice big mat in our in our gym too, which is a blessing. So we can do plenty of contact work around our our lifting sessions when we need to. So we're always getting better at rugby, not just not just lifting. And um, and found a world class mobility guy here too, who's awesome. And so that all the stuff we're doing at the moment, because rugby players have always got stiff ankles, tight hips, tight thoracic, poor mobility, um, but the game is won by winning collisions, and winning collisions is won by body height, and body height comes from mobility, so and getting in the right position and being able to control and be strong in that position, so um, so we've been able to find someone who's really, really good in that, in that space, who just comes in once a week and, and delivers a um, sort of a targeted group mobility session and he's done an, ass- an assessment with each player and given them some individual homework to do and so we're sort of trying to attack that from a lot of different angles rather than just um, just lots and lots of tackles on the mat and the pads. You know, I think that's... I like the point too of bringing in... Uh, obviously, like, if, if someone's an expert in a certain thing, bringing them in and then educating them how that would t- potentially apply to, you know, rugby and then they can filter that out and then apply their knowledge in the context that's going to be as close as possible like I said it's not going to always be perfect but as close as possible to transferring some over to rugby and, and trying to learn some skills that then will help them you know on the on the field yeah if you find um, someone who really wants to learn about the game and how it applies it makes a big difference um and and getting your coaches involved too so that the coaches can have some of those technical conversations and then we don't get caught being a tackling coach when we're not a tackling coach so uh, but we kind of know a little bit about a little bit about tackling, but not all the the specifics, and that's not our always our role. So, um, getting the, the the sort of the, the combination cross pollination of information and discussion, and I've been in both scenarios. I've either had budgets to bring people in, or I haven't, and then you just go out and watch people operate and talk to them afterwards, and um, ask them politely to steal their ideas and go and adapt them, and and then you you have to deliver what you can in in that space and. Um, and just know that you're, you're sort of you're you're not an expert, so you can dumb it down a little bit and bring it, strip it back to basics. But as long as you you understand why you're delivering it and what the purpose is, you'll generally um, get a good result from what you're trying to achieve because you've gone through that process of learning and learning and adapting and, and figuring out. And you can tailor it to fit your needs um, rather than maybe sometimes someone from the outside they just have a passion and, and you know when. When you've only got a hammer, the whole world is a nail. So, <laughs> yeah, hundred um, percent. I think I think the next thing going to that's talked about quite a bit is conditioning for contact tackling, wrestling, etc. And obviously, with running and stuff, you have GPS, you have all these metrics. You have, you know, you can run on the field, you can time everything. Whereas it's a lot harder to quantify, you know, how hard does this work, how much load or whatever you want to say are they doing in this session or what's the best way to do it if they're really fatigued one day can you do some sort of off feet thing that will transfer over or you know how to how to best do that so i guess what's uh yeah how do, how have you gone about trying to 
condition or however you want to say that for more of the contact wrestle side instead of just the running side yeah still trying still trying to find that recipe but but i think the um a key thing that we've probably looked more at recently is sort of heart rate load just we've been trying to bridge the gap between like at training and team training it's very very similar and then when the forwards and backs split to units the backs gps metrics go up through the roof and the forwards go nowhere because they're scrum and maul and line out they're not running so it would look like the forwards have done nothing and the backs have done everything if you only looked at running so but at least if you look at if they're live mauling and live scrumming and doing contact drills then at least you if you're not able to measure the contact load at least you, you can get some heart rate load out of it and take a sort of an, an internal metric or a metabolic demand or whatever you might want to call it um, out of that session and see see how they've worked and then at least you can kind of compare apples to apples each time they do a unit session and, and plan your your progressions that way so um so a lot of a lot of wearables have got a, a better version of an integrated heart rate type vest now that um that you can use to at least capture capture some of that information to and let's say an accurate enough level not so it's never going to be perfect but at least you're you're going to get enough reliable and consistent information to make coaching decisions off um, based on what you're collecting and what you're seeing so um, and then the next step as you mentioned is like if somebody can't do that can't do the contact work but they miss out on that metabolic demand then how do you then transfer that to off feet like what 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 bike session gives the same heart rate profile as a scrum session? <laughs> you're trying to you're trying to figure that out. You, you know it's not the same thing, and it's it's coming from a very different stimulus. But apart from um, going in and, and whacking someone around with boxing gloves while they're on the assault bike, you can't really get the the heart rate and the contact demands. You, you see some boxing drills where they're doing leg raises, hanging, and people are punching them in the sides and things like that. But um, I think it's. So you say you do you do your best to try to bridge the gap as best as possible and just make sure that the the players are as generally prepared as possible especially if it's just for you know one or two or three sessions so if it's for a, a three or four month injury then you're really you're genuinely trying to maintain what you can internally and then bridge the gap externally when they can do the stuff that they haven't been able to do and they pass some of that criteria so you you're trying to reduce the drop-off of all the qualities that they can still maintain or improve. Uh, and then you say you, you want to bridge the gap later with some of the contact stuff if that's what they're taken out of. But at least um, if you can have them well conditioned, well enough conditioned to go into that so that fatigue isn't the, the limiting factor that leads to re-injury, but it's, and you've worked on some of the technical side of it that might have led to the injury in the first place, then you're just trying to tick all of those boxes. So as I say, we've probably tried to to play with a few different things the last couple of years, both back back home in New Zealand and, and over here, just around around heart rate and looking at, say, which kind of off-feet sessions sort of replicate a similar metabolic profile to some of the some of the contact area work or the wrestling run stuff or some of the conditioning games if they're out of running. If they're out of running, how do we... You're not getting change of direction, you're not getting jump and land, you're not getting all the... There's a lot of things missing, but at least you're, you're, you're getting what you can, and you're trying, you're trying to match match the demands as best as possible and bridge all the gaps that you can. So, um, yeah, so we've tried to do similar sort of things with speed. You try to do sprint, you know, sprints without sprinting, and are they max acceleration efforts on the watt bike, getting off into doing like sprint drills and, and, and plyos and things where you don't want them extending out to max velocity, but you want to try and still stress those mechanics, but in a safe way and get some maximal effort output so you try to 
you say you, you try to replicate it as best as you possibly can. It's never going to be perfect, but um, they're all the things that we've sort of been playing with in in recent times and how we might bridge that gap. So let me let me try to summarize this and see if I can get it right. So with your with your backs, obviously they're doing a lot more running, so that's GPS load, etc. Trying to match to match to the game. You probably have similar GPS on your forwards that are going to be doing you know trying to get similar match to the games as well. In order to match similar intensity to either either ones or are you just going to separate and say um, heart rate is going to be you know forwards heart rate is going to be different than your backs heart rate so we're not really trying to compare the two we're trying to say within the forwards we're all roughly here and then when we're doing wrestling off feet stuff that's not actual contact we're trying to hit similar heart rate profiles of that exercise yeah yeah and, it's, and specifically within the sort of that, that split units portion of training where backs are backs and forwards are forwards and they're doing they're doing different things if if a forward is out of that forwards portion then how can we replace that forwards portion rather than giving them lots of running and replacing their forwards session with a back session um by giving them running conditioning and and we still want to give them running we still want to give them speed work and acceleration change of direction everything but um but that's not the piece that they're missing if they go back into team training they actually get to do their job but if they missed a whole lot of set piece then how do we replicate that with with down and up work and off feet work and sled push and, and things like that. So um, which things can we do that are kind of like what they're missing out on? Yeah. All right. And so like I said, the best thing that you guys have done is, is more of the heart rate type stuff. And do you mind expanding a little bit on kind of what, what you're looking at, looking like average, looking at the max they do or changes or what are you looking at there? Yeah, that's through what we're trying, what we're trying to figure out. Again, what's best, um, but it's looking at almost trying to create a like a session, a session profile, like a heart rate profile for each of our athletes as they go through a unit session, and what that actually looks like as a as an average heart rate. What's the peak and what's their recovery rate look like, and how do we, and then playing around with different off feet options and and body weight type options um, to try to replicate that. Because if we play with all of the information that we're gathering in season. We can do the next off season better. That's the the hard part. Is that everybody can do running in the off season. Everybody can lift. Backs can kind of kick a ball on their own. But um, you can't scrum by yourself, and you can't maul <laughs> by yourself, and you can't tackle yourself. So uh, a lot of the a lot of the contact area stuff is hard to do without a partner. So trying to find which partner drills replicate certain things, um, and then just trying to find out ways that you can at least prepare as best as possible for when you then get the opportunity to train with other people and do more contact area work how it's um how we integrate some on and off the ground type work and body weight sort of work and things that we can at least get your body impacting something that's not another person if you don't have another person to train with so um so that's probably what we're trying to build at the moment is a is a a bit of a library and a bit of a prescription of um what looks like what from a from a, a heart rate profile type perspective or an acceleration deceleration profile type perspective and so it won't be perfect but it'll be better than nothing once we get um once we get it together and refine it and uh and it's it's going to be it won't be incredibly accurate but it'll be better than just shooting in the dark and um just saying go do 50 burpees instead of a scrum so yeah have you have you found anything that um you know seems to replicate it pretty well so far or things that you you've liked that give a decent metabolic profile as similar as you can say to a more of a contact based session 
Yeah, I think we found the more obviously, man. It seems logical, but the more the more full body involvement, the better. Just the more you can keep closer to the profile. Um, so, uh, like if it, if it's a salt bike, if it's a rower, if it's a body weight type session with with crawling and down up and agility and change of direction, it it, it just it looks a lot more similar to some of the the contact area work and the set piece work that the the Fords will be doing to being on a watt bike or a ski erg or something that's a bit more separated to upper and lower body so sometimes we're limited if someone's had a shoulder up they can't they can't do the upper body stuff if they've if they've only got one leg they're stuck on battle ropes and and upper body stuff for for a while grinders and ski ergs and things like that so um you can't always replicate with full body but if we're if we're just managing and trying to get as close as possible we've probably found that so the the more full body involvement, the closer that profile is to the things they're missing out on from a contact perspective or a, a, a set piece type perspective. Um, we th- thought sled 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 stuff would have been a little bit closer. It's not necessarily not necessarily closer. Probably just doesn't have the same kind of eccentric demand and the same compression and pressure. It's a lot more a lot like it, it's the same kind of movement. Like you're you're pushing, but it's mm-hmm. you're, you're fully in control. So. You, Unless the sled's kind of pushing you back, or someone's someone's on your back while you're trying to push it, it's it actually is quite a different sort of a profile to it. Versus, um, you can we'd, we'd put we just decided to put more on and off the ground body weight work in and around a sled push to try to bridge that gap. But um, yeah, it was interesting. So the the more body parts involved at once, the closer it looks like some of those things we're trying to mimic. Yeah, and then I think. Obviously, a lot of people are going to do the off-heat stuff with your um, assault bike and, and that, but what about field-wise? Have you found anything there? Of You mentioned like some crawling, some down-ups and stuff like that that's tried to integrate it. I mean, if you don't have the – like if you're on a travel or off-site session or something for the day where you don't have access to equipment and you're trying to get that in, have you found anything there that's been close-ish or things that you like to do there? Not yet. A partner's, partner's still by far best because you, you can partner wrestle when you can do a whole lot more work. Um, that just replicates different parts of the game. But um, so if if we're on our own, if you can find or use inclines or anything to kind of anything to kind of drag or um, or just put some variation in and around the full body stuff that's not just body weight work. Um, if it's say so if it's at the field, like not not specifically yet really i guess once they get out to the field for us we're probably trying to get them as integrated as possible into some of the parts that they can do so i said that that's the gap that we're trying to fill if somebody goes away camping in an off season and pre-season starts in a couple of weeks and you're trying to get them ready for um ready for contact work um, which is why we'll always kind of start at step zero with our contact work or at least step one coming in a pre-season assembly anyway is even if they've been able to do some of this stuff not assuming that everybody's been able to nail it, but at least they they'll be better prepared. But it doesn't mean we skip straight to step four. Yeah, and then with your I guess general session. So if you're tracking heart rate along a full wrestling type session, do you program with that at all, or is it mainly just up to more of the wrestling slash tactical coach or who is whoever's in charge of that? Um, do you have any input on that with heart rate wise and how it's going inside, or is it more just with their experiences they know? progressions here and there should roughly be how um 
Take yeah, some some of those sessions that we've given to, let's say, to other others to lead along a like a lesson plan that we've sort of built together, or they've they've sort of built alongside some of the parameters that we've given them. I mean, in terms of duration and duration and intensity and how the balance that we want between technical and competitive, or you know, fully fully live going after it versus just trying to be efficient and mobile. Um, we wouldn't necessarily program the session based on the metrics, but we take from those and then adapt our session the next day. So we can just let them. We can give some give some set parameters. They'll deliver the session, and then off the back of that session, we know right what did they take from that session. Here's how we bridge the gap tomorrow based on what they got or didn't get. The same as we would like with a game. We can't. We don't necessarily control everything that happens in a game, but that gives us what it gives us. And then off the back of that, we then. We look to fill fill the gaps and um, and either upload or download based on what they get out of that. So that's probably the approach that I've taken uh, with some of those sort of exterior led sort of sessions, is rather than try to sit there and looking at it live and kind of control control it by metrics a whole lot like we like we might do in an infield an on field session with us in season is. Um, let it be what it is, and then we can adapt our sessions off the back of it, and that just gives them the freedom to to drive the session and the players just to cope with whatever comes. And obviously, if, if something goes outside what we kind of planned or what we hope to see that day, we can we can always sort of step in and get them to tone it down. Or if they're not going hard enough, we can get them to sort of dial it up a little bit and and guide it that way, but not necessarily by by the numbers, just by those kind of parameters of what we want to achieve and what week it is and how ready they are for what we want them to, to put them through. Yeah, okay. And I guess, like I said, this is not too, a very long answer because I know it's already a hypothetical question with another hypothetical, hypothetical question in it. But let's say someone doesn't have the ability to wear like wearables on everyone if you have a club. Obviously, you can get Apple Watches, you can get stuff like that, it'll trap it, track it somewhat. But is there anything else that you could look at or, you know, or a general, like a quick thing to give a general idea of what's going on or pretty just unless you have the trust in the coach of wrestling and all that and heart rate it's pretty that's the best at the moment yeah within yeah i guess within session i mean there's obviously a lot of different wearables that people can have if it's a whoop band or an or a ring or a or an apple watch or whatever might track certain things in in any activity that you're doing but um you sort of try to to drive those a little bit more probably a little bit more old school and drive those a little bit a little bit more by feel and experience and visual and and I, mean, I guess the better you know your better you know your players, the more you can tell how their session is for them just by looking at their faces as they go through it and um, <laughs> and knowing that there's there's an expert running the session and they have a feel for within their sport how much is too much and how much is too little and and, and kind of trusting that a little bit and then kind of knowing off the back of it, even just being able to get um, even just getting RPEs and and some feedback from the players around the session and what they're ready for the next day if, if you can't necessarily do it by accurate measurement um, at least then we're, you know, you're, you're still taking you're taking some feedback, you're taking some information, some usable information and then transferring it into a decision around what we might do the next day so so it doesn't um, always have to be it doesn't always have to be measured measured by tech um, and sometimes you can kind of trust, trust your gut on it a little bit because you know what your outcomes are that you're trying to achieve and you can generally generally see whether you've achieved them or not yeah and i guess next part for like obviously that's a 
decent summary of our con- the conditioning or ways to try and track it as more of a conditioning metric. Uh, when you're when you're doing your strength program, your gym program, you know you're going to obviously be programming for more than just contact. But is there anything that you like to throw in there, or any aspects you like to add in specifically, um, or or things you try and focus on that will then kind of carry over more of the contact wrestle combat side? Uh, yeah, I guess as I mentioned before. For mobility's been a real key focus for us this year, just to help try and get some of the transfer around into different positions that we need to get into, around around contact situations or around the ball. Um, and then, so there's going to be different players that approach contact differently too. Like we've got evasive players that it's it's it's, it's footwork and being dynamic and explosive, and they they sort of they beat contact by being really good at avoiding it in small spaces and and other people win contact with brute force so and trying to a sort of sharpen their strengths but b work on the things that they could be a little bit better at so giving them some different tools but not trying to change who they are so from a technical side we might have some guys that are incredibly explosive and powerful we kind of know that in a one-on-one situation that they could just bully and explode through somebody but being able to add another string to their bow so that they're less predictable in terms of their skill set um, and ability to to beat defenders or the way that they approach a breakdown or some of them it's just trying to find ways in the gym to to add a lot more competition and just to build a little bit more of a killer instinct and and their their mindset to just win um, and to fully commit to something and not go into a collision situation sort of 50-50 but just try to win every single every single moment with intent um, and so then that, that, that might be the, just the way that we structure their, their S&C programming around um, measuring velocities to get a focus on intent rather than output and uh, and then and sort of getting some, some measurables around that so the, the focus area is it's more about how they attack it and how they try to how they try to win or how they try to get better or how they really try to be focused and intentional in just one effort and one effort at a time so um, again sort of like I said theoretical within theoretical but they say we operate a lot in the grey um, and and uh, but I think there are ways we sort of would look to approach it that and, and including including a lot more sort of contact technical skill in and around in and around the sessions too so that sometimes if we're in lifting we're just lifting but other times we're in we're in lifting and doing skill work as well. So, and so the coaches are in there, and players are utilising their downtime, becoming better rugby players. And as, as we know, we could some we could get somebody a whole lot better at jiu-jitsu and wrestling and squatting and benching and bronco and speed times, and they get no better at the game, if not worse, because they've become such a good athlete that they they haven't become a better rugby player. So, um, we're always trying to find that balance between making sure we we're focusing on things that will hopefully help them become a better player but also doing enough that actually makes them a better player in the the technical and tactical parts of the game too so not not so far down that road to do everything kind of sports specific and um and and try to replicate movements with resistance all the time but if there is something specific that a player needs like a if there's clean out technique work with a band around the waist that just helps them think about exploding and fighting through or we use a different height on a rack to get through to get under into contact or um, just different ways that we can kind of cue things in and around their movements um, there's a, a mobility focus on some of their lower body work around hips and an ability to get strong and long in good positions is, is a real key focus too so 
Yeah. And a lot of times I think in rugby too, it's they talk about neck strength and all the or ability to, I guess I've heard two things like ability to be strong in it, but the ability to also like fire quickly and then readjust. Um, and cause that's obviously when you're getting, unless you're in a scrum, I guess that might be more next pure strength. But a lot of times if you're getting hit, it's the ability to then re center your neck area. Um, so was, do, you, do you do much on that or have an opinion on that? I guess last quick question there. Yeah, I think well, everybody needs to say so they um, there might only be five or ten scrums in a game, but everybody's tackling, everybody's cleaning out, and everybody's getting hit. So everybody's like you say has to be able to sort of sort of react and reposition and be strong around contact and and kind of protect from injury or be dominant that way. And a lot of a lot of breakdown work is around people talk about putting your head in a hard place or putting your head in a dark place or being able to actually get in and and kind of be strong and stable in and around the ball in a very vulnerable position and how do you how do you find your way from weak to strong as quickly as and safely as possible so um, still finding that like the best the best ways to do it for different players in different positions so that we kind of know they're they're getting what they need but even for some of the front rowers that we're not overdoing it so they we think uh, the front for our front rowers neck strength is very important so we put a lot of it into their program but they're also doing a lot of it when they go and scrum and do units as well and I know we, we, we probably did that a few years ago, slightly off topic, but on topic, um, ar- around calf strength when the, the scrum rules changed and so the, the scrums were, were, were like an isometric hold for a lot longer, like multiple seconds longer than they had been in seasons past. So we wanted to be able to prepare for that load with a whole lot more isometric and eccentric calf work. But then because they were also training it on field, from a technical perspective, the calves are just getting overloaded both in the gym and out on the field. So that box was getting sort of double ticked and so we ended up having some issues in the front row with with calves just because we'd, we'd jumped too much too quickly because we tried to do it in every single sort of facet. So um, backs definitely miss out very often on a lot of extra kind of neck, neck work and, and they end up having a lot of probably more vulnerable contact area involvements because a wide, a wide breakdown can often be sort of less controlled and, and a little bit more dynamic and explosive and than, than one that's in close and in close quarters where people haven't come from quite as far away or it doesn't take as much of an effort to enter in the, at the right angle. So um, it's, it's always a staple for, for backs to be able to have some of that work within their programme through the week because they don't get as much of it on the field. Encouraging coaches to make sure you get some wide breakdown work and some tackle work into backs units and they don't just run kick laugh and play games um while the forwards grunt and grunt and scream and turn around and and um and look at the backs sort of out the corner of their eye like they're not working hard so so the forwards the forwards definitely get some and it's important so we make sure we dose them but we give them a bit less because they're already doing more uh, and then we try to make sure the backs get some on field but we'll give them a little bit more because they don't get much uh, it's a similar approach to the prescription around running in contact. We know the running is the most important for backs, but contact still is. So there's sort of a 75% running emphasis, but making sure they get a 25% contact emphasis as well. And so the forwards running is important because you can't play the game without it, but the contact is probably more important for them. So they're kind of the other way and more of a 60-40 and 60% of their work and conditioning and preparation is contact contact area stuff or set piece and but you make sure you don't miss that 40 percent of of running yeah no that's yeah a good summary like you know they need it so 
to do it and then just trying to make it as you know specific as possible but, but yeah. simplify it down uh, as much as you can you just go a two to one ratio either way and then that's it simply <laughs> yeah. that with the running in contact and yeah, yeah it's what we've done here just start strip right back to basics and make it as simple as possible and just to to educate the players on why their top-ups and and extra conditioning work looks like it does is the reason the forwards are a two-to-one ratio of contact to running is their job and the reason the backs are two-to-one running to contact is their job but they can't afford to to skip that one and only do the two yeah perfect well thank you very much for taking time to be on and sharing knowledge on the episode uh if you just want to give uh, i know you share some information on instagram and if there's anywhere else that you share it um, i can link you down in the show notes for those yeah, so, I was, so every now and then I push things out. Um, what's my ST underscore performance coach on Instagram and uh, STSNC, all just the words on, on Twitter. I'll probably, I'll probably, I do more retweeting of other people's stuff than I do of my own at the moment, but now that I've so got some good staff here, we can kind of step back and capture some pictures of what we're, what we're doing and, and start to share it. So um, generally out through those channels and LinkedIn's probably where um, where most of the work related stuff will kind of come through too when I, I do a bit more sharing and within that professional network um, there's also some really good stuff for anybody on Facebook there's a, an NSCA sort of um, special interest group rugby special interest group um, that um, a couple of really well established sort of SNC coaches in, in, in our area sort of run and drive and there's some great information kind of being shared and interacted with uh, on there from Justin Gurnan and Ash Jones and, and everybody else who kind of contributes to that group so um, that's a good one to kind of sign up on and, and follow as well because a lot of people putting a lot of really good stuff in through there yeah perfect yeah, Ash was on earlier so um, I'll put that in the show notes and put your links in there as well so thanks thanks again for taking the time to be on um, the godfather of rugby S&C Ash is, how is his goatee looking it's pretty good these days it looks like a wizard <laughs> for sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Thanks again. Cheers. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.